Section 3 of 93 by Victor Hugo, translated by Aline Delano. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 1, Book 2, Chapter 2. Night with the Ship and the Passenger. The corvette, instead of sailing south in the direction of St. Catherine, headed to the north, then, veering towards the west, had boldly entered that arm of sea between Sark and Jersey called the Passage of the Deroute. There was then no lighthouse at any point on either coast. It had been a clear sunset. The night was darker than summer nights usually are. It was moonlight, but large clouds, rather of the equinox than of the solstice, overspread the sky, and, judging by appearances, the moon would not be visible until she reached the horizon at the moment of setting. A few clouds hung low near the surface of the sea and covered it with vapor. All this darkness was favorable. Gaqual, the pilot, intended to leave Jersey on the left, Guernsey on the right, and by boldly sailing between Anois and Dover, to reach some bay on the coast near Saint-Malo, a longer but safer route than the one through Minquier, for the French coaster had standing orders to keep an unusually sharp lookout between saint hélier and Granville. If the wind were favorable and nothing happened, by dint of setting all sail, Gacqual hoped to reach the coast of France at daybreak. All went well. The corvette had just passed Grenais. Towards nine o'clock the weather looked sullen, as the sailors express it, both wind and sea rising. But the wind was favorable, and the sea was rough, yet not heavy, waves now and then dashing over the bow of the corvette. The peasant, whom Lord Balcaras had called general, and whom the Prince de la Tour d'Auvergne had addressed as cousin, was a good sailor, and paced the deck of the corvette with calm dignity. He did not seem to notice that she rocked considerably. From time to time he took out of his waistcoat pocket a cake of chocolate, and, breaking off a piece, munched it. Though his hair was grey, his teeth were sound. He spoke to no one, except that from time to time he made a few concise remarks in an undertone to the captain, who listened to him deferentially, apparently regarding his passenger as the commander rather than himself. Unobserved in the fog, and skillfully piloted, the claymore coasted along the steep shore to the north of Jersey, hugging the land to avoid the formidable reef of Pierre de Lique, which lies in the middle of the strait between Jersey and Sark. Gacqual, at the helm, sighting in turn Grove de Lique, Grenet, and Plémont, making the corvette glide in among those chains of reefs, felt his way along to a certain extent, but with the self-confidence of one familiar with the ways of the sea. The corvette had no light forward, fearing to betray its passage through these guarded waters. They congratulated themselves on the fog. The Grand Etape was reached. The mist was so dense that the lofty outlines of the pinnacle were scarcely visible. They heard it strike ten from the belfry of Saint-Ouen, a sign that the wind was still aft. All was going well. The sea grew rougher, because they were drawing near La Corbière. A little after ten, the Count Boisbertelot and the Chevalier de la Vieuville escorted the man in the peasant garb to the door of his cabin, which was the captain's own room. As he was about to enter, he remarked, lowering his voice, "'You understand the importance of keeping the secret, gentlemen. Silence up to the moment of explosion. You are the only ones here who know my name.' "'We will carry it to the grave,' replied Boisbertelot. "'And for my part I would not reveal it were I face to face with death,' remarked the old man. And he entered his stateroom. End of section three.